Since we've been getting back into the book of Revelation a bit, uh, I said I'm going to have a couple signs of the time messages that are more general before we really jump into chapter 21 and 22, uh, which is the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. Can you believe it? It's finally there. At uh, last time we got together. Well, not actually last time we got together. Last time we got together, I did a message on Romans chapter 7. Do you remember that? I didn't expect the response that I got. I had people from different parts of the country, actually different parts, a different part of the world, saying they're passing this thing out everywhere. And because I was showing how Romans 7 has been misinterpreted, and it's really caused a, I even quoted Adam Clark, who way back in the 1700s is saying, this has brought shame upon the body of Christ and explains a lot of the weakness in the body of Christ because people would misinterpret Romans 7 to kind of use it as a license or an excuse for not living a holy life. And that wasn't what Paul was, Paul was not writing about his life BC, or after Christ, he was writing about his life B.C. And I point out that most Pauline scholars say, yeah, this is, you know, uh, from all backgrounds. will say, yeah, this is Paul, be, uh, talk about before he was a Christian. So I want to encourage you to get that first message Sunday. But if you were there last Sunday and you didn't hear part two, what are you waiting for? You can get on, uh, go to the podcast, or not the podcast, you can go to, you know, Blessed Hope, our webpage and listen to it. Or you can go to YouTube and check it out. Because part two, I get into the present tense. And I show how the present tense is used over and over again in the New Testament Greek, far more than we use it in English, you know. And I show that it's definitely something they understand is used in Romans 7. Some translation even translating the present tense past because they know Paul's talking about his past at certain points. I'm going to get too deep and lose everybody. But now let's get into the signs of the times. The Sunday before that one, I did the first message. This is just part two of a two-part series on the signs of the end times. And remember, we looked at Israel again. And we looked at Israel being dispersed, but one of the signs of the times is that they become a nation again to set up the end times. You can't have the world surrounding Israel to destroy her in the end times unless you have what? Israel. Amen? And you can't have uh, just Israel. You have to have Israel as a world power and a threat to the world global unity. You also have to have it as a place of worship because the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, Right? So the temple would have to eventually be rebuilt, and there's clamoring right now, and there has been for years. So almost every one of the temple implements, pretty much every one of them, is already remade, is already made, ready to be. You know, they've got a more conservative uh, G- uh, Jewish guy as their prime minister. You know, where's Yamaka and everything, and a lot of the people are, are hoping he'll push for the rebuilding the temple. But you need all that going on. And the Antichrist will sit in the temple of God, show himself that he is God, because Satan has always wanted that position, Right? He said, I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God, right? He wanted to be worshipped, and that's why that happens. And by the way, more, one place more than any place on earth right now, it's a fulfillment of prophecy, is a subject of worship. It's, a, a, it's one place of any place in the world, there's more eyes toward that place as an important place of worship with regard to different religions than any other place on earth. And that is the Temple Mount. Jews, Christians, look at Jerusalem. We visit the Temple Mount. Okay, we worship the Lord in spirit and truth, but we recognize the significance of it. Muslims, it's their third most holy place, and they dominate the Temple Mount. And it's just interesting, all this would have to be in play to one degree or another before the end would come. And Israel didn't even exist as a nation until just recently. And what did I do? I quoted different authors from a couple hundred years ago who said, if these prophecies are going to be fulfilled, Israel has to become a nation again, which seems so ludicrous to everybody, you know? And they didn't just have to become a nation, they had to become a world power. And that's all happened before our eyes. 
And it's the most debated and most, it's the most just controversial piece of real estate on planet Earth, Jerusalem, right now. And it says in Zechariah chapter 12 that Jerusalem would become a pot of trembling. Remember that? A burdensome stone. And that whoever touches it would be severely injured. So they'd have to not just become a nation again. And also, remember, when there was the dispersion or the diaspora and the, the northern kingdom was, you know, the ten, kingdom, ten tribes were dispersed through the Assyrians and the Babylonians after that took Judah and Benjamin into captivity. And then after that, uh, after the time of Jesus, he said not one stone would be standing upon another in the Temple Mount, and they would be led into all the nations, which is exactly what happened, fulfilling Jesus' prophecy, but the scriptures tell us they'd be brought back. And if you read Ezekiel chapter 34 through 36, they're brought back before they're converted to Christ. They're brought back before God pours His Spirit out upon them. Not after. So they'd be in unbelief when they'd come back, and that's exactly where they are. All this is Prophetic. But I wanted to catch you up a little bit and move on to things beyond Israel. And we got into other things. After that study, we went beyond Israel. We looked at lawlessness increasing, right? You know? And there'd be this incredible increase of lawlessness. Is there an increase of lawlessness? To fund the police. Well, that's a great recipe for law and order. That's a great recipe, actually, for anarchy. And even when crime goes like this, you know, back and forth, but if you look at it compared to what it was in the 50s until now, you just look at people. People have no shame now. The news stories, they have no shame. You know, people are beating each other up on airplanes and stuff now. It's just crazy. I mean, I can't even watch some of the things that's on, on the news. If I'm catching up on the news, I like to read. I have a hard time. I'll click things to watch them sometimes. I'm watching a predator walk, follow after this girl and he just runs and he just jumps up. The big dude flattens her, man. And it's like in New York and I'm like, you know, and there's all kinds of people doing wicked things in front of other people just walking away. They care. People's love is growing cold. People are cowardly now. They don't ever intervene because they don't want to risk their own lives, you know. And Lord, give us strength to not be cowards, right? To stand up and, and, and speak what's right, speak the truth. So we're seeing these things. I mentioned it mentions ethnic group against ethnic group, ethnos against ethnos. Jesus said what happened. Matthew 24, right? We have all this racism growing and being stoked. A lot of these liberal journalists are stoking the fires of racism for power. And it's so wicked what they're doing. And you can't be a genuine Christian and be a racist and hate other races. The Bible says, you know, if, and churches that divide along race are not true Christian churches. Okay? That's my strong, firm conviction. Because if you don't love your brother, the Bible says, if you hate your brother, the love of Christ is not in you. Okay, look at the message I did last year on the Good Samaritan and how that's a racial story about, God, about we're supposed to love everybody, amen? And we all come from, I emphasize, the Christian worldview is anti-racist because we teach, the scriptures teach, that we all come from one man, amen? And one woman. The scriptures teach that Jesus died for all of us, amen? The scripture teaches that we're equal at the foot of the cross, amen? The scripture says we're all related. The scriptures also are very, very clear, very, very clear, that in the New Jerusalem, when the Lord reigns uh, on earth, and then the worship in heaven, you have people from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue worshiping together. Amen? It's beautiful. So we should be able to look around and see people of different racial uh, colors. And, and I've told you before, man, I love the fact that God's made us uh, you know, a little different than each other. You know? 
And I won't go into the reasons why, but I know lunch is coming up, and that's one reason, man. I think I'm having Thai food for lunch. We'll see. Anyway, uh, so I wanted, we talked about a lot of those things, but one of the things I want to talk to you about that's a sign of the time, and a few things I want to talk to you about. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind just like two weeks ago, hopefully blew your mind, is I think you really want to check this out in regard to um, the apostasy. The Bible predicted that there would be a falling away of, of genuine Christianity in the end times, and that many would depart from the faith. And keep in mind, those prophecies were given when the church was just starting, when the church was just growing. And then it prophesied that there'd be this, all these false teachings that would come in. And that there would be an apostasy regarding people's holiness, lack thereof, regarding biblical doctrine, regarding the love that people would have for one another, regarding truth. And this is just so mind-boggling to me when you think about it. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. And when you get there, we read, but false prophets also arose among the people. And that's, he's talking about the Old Testament. He's drawing a line to the Old Testament saying, hey, back in those days, days of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, false prophets rose among the people. Just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them Jesus died even for the false teachers. Wow. The atonement's not limited. Bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Wow. Look at verse 2. Does it say a few people will follow them? In verse 2? Or what? Many people. Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will what? Exploit you. With false words. Their judgment from a long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. Meaning, hey, just as there were false prophets in the days of the, in, in the olden times. And I just, I always kind of chuckle a little bit when I read in the Bible, it talks about the olden times, you know. Because we go, we think of the olden times, and we just think great grandma, right. And then, but 2,000 years ago, and they were talking about the olden times, you know. And I just think it's kind of funny because it talks about that in First Peter chapter 3. Talks about how the women of old used to dress, and they were modest. <laughs> and you guys need to be modest, you know. That, that's so funny. And now today, where are we, you know? But it's interesting because here it prophesies the very thing that's going on. I remember when I was a young, uh, I did different construction jobs, but I was a tile setter for some time. And I remember uh, working uh, for Tile Trends, and I was working uh, alongside another tile setter who was a journeyman. And I was a young tile set at the time, and I was witnessing to him. And he's a little bit older than me. I was in probably my 20s at the time. And uh, mid-20s. And he says, and I'm sharing the gospel with him. And this was around the time, you know, you had like Jim Baker, you know. Remember Tammy Faye Baker with the eyelashes that were like two feet long or something. You know, and just, she stopped walking and then she'd drip if she didn't keep going. Because her makeup was just so caked on there, you know. And it was just such a travesty because she compared Christianity to Disneyland. That's what the millennials would be like, speaking of Disneyland. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, it was just embarrassment. But then this, the, the, it was just money grabbing all the time. And, you know, back then, you know, it was transparent to those who were following the Lord. If you were serious about Jesus, it was like, this is not scriptural. 
And so when he ended up in a scandal using alcohol to get, a, I think, a secretary, you know, drunk and sleeping with her, uh, it was it was horrible. And there were a couple scandals like that that were happening at that time. And uh, he pointed to that. And he pointed out these guys are money grabbers. And he goes, it says non They're supposed to be non-profits. Yeah, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, he spells it out. So he thought he was being cute, you know. And I said, actually, that helps me understand how true the Bible is. And he was like, quit, quizzical, like, wow. He thinks he's trashing Christianity, you know. And by the way, we know in every walk of life, there's people that are sincere, and there are people that are, there's people that are insincere, you know. I know if you're a Dodger fan and you go to the games because there's some guys that are just so drunk they're not paying attention to the game and there's some people that are just on their cell phone the whole time, you don't say, they're not good fans. I don't like the Dodgers anymore because there's hypocrites that come to the games. It's such a stupid cop-out, you know, and it's a weak cop-out, you know, but at the same time, you want to make sure you're not the reason for somebody's cop-out, that you live a consistent life, amen, and that you aren't hypocritical and you walk your talk. Amen? And that you are a bright light for Jesus. Yeah, there's hypocrites out there, but guess what? I've been pastoring this fellowship for over 30 years, and I've, I know a ton of believers, not only here, but elsewhere. And guess what? I very rarely run into somebody who makes a mockery of Christianity. Oh yeah, people fall short. I counsel people. People go through their trials. But that's why people come to Christ, because everybody falls short. Amen? We're sinners that need God's grace. Amen? We're hospital we're Jesus hospital, amen. But at the same time, I, the Christians I know, by and large, are sincere believers that are seeking to grow in the Lord, amen. So I know it's a cop-out. Now, it's, it's true, there's whole churches that are filled with people that turn grace into a license and live wicked lives. I know that. But that's in every group. There's, you have your sad anomalies. Let's make sure we're not that anomaly, amen. Let's make sure we're consistent in our walks. But as he's sharing this, I said, hey, that actually, you know, <laughs> uh, that's just more proof for me that the biblical prophecies are true. He's like, what are you talking about? And I took him to the scripture. I said, look, many people will follow these false teachers. There will be that segment of quote-unquote Christianity. Many will follow them. And it says that they'll make stories up. And these, a lot of these false teachers like Kenneth Hagin, he actually took, he's a granddaddy of the word faith movement. Okay, The prosperity movement. The name it and claim it group. Or, you know, just speak it out and you'll get rich and so forth. He actually lifted a lot of his visions he supposedly got from God and wrote down what the Lord revealed to him about this whole prosperity thing as these secrets. And he got these, he lifted them right from a book by E.W. Kenyon, a guy that was teaching mind science type stuff. And he brought mind science, Eastern influence, mind sciences, new thought and so forth into the church by claiming it was revelations from Jesus when he was really copying somebody else's book. And then Kenneth Copeland, Frederick Price, a lot of these guys were influenced by him, okay? And they became the main teachers on Trinity Broadcasting Network. And their stuff sold because people gave huge donations because they said, if you want to get rich, you've got to give to our ministries. And they begged. And it was really heartbreaking to see it because this became the face of Christianity for many people who had never heard the gospel and they're flicking through TV channels and this was the most popular station, it probably still is, Trinity Broadcasting Network. They'd be seeing that all the time. And your heart would break. And I go, you know, it warns about a false form of Christianity right here. And you know what it says? By their greed, they will what? Exploit you. So they're exploiting people. I go, you know what else it says? It says because of what they're doing, 
What they'll be doing, this is way back, almost 2,000 years ago it was written, because of what they're doing, you would be saying what you're saying to me right now. It says the truth would be brought in dis- disrepute. One translation. Another translation, the truth would be maligned. You're maligning the truth based on what they're doing. And that's what Peter said. That's exactly what he said would happen. He was speechless. Because the more he would bring it up, he'd be like, I'm fulfilling Bible prophecy. You know? So it's kind of, kind of, so there's all kinds of ways to witness and share the gospel. And, and, but being in the Word, if I was in the Word, I couldn't do that as a young Christian. But I lived and ate and breathed and drank the Word of God. And that's the way we need it to be. Because the truth is here. This truth is supposed to abide in us. But praise God, these prophecies are being fulfilled before our very eyes. And one of the things that's being fulfilled is apostasy. And what's interesting is Peter is saying the time will also come in 2 Peter chapter 3 where they'll be saying, where's the promise of his coming? How come he's not here yet? Right? And it's mockery. There's even a little saying out there, you know, that's like, you know, waiting for that person is like waiting for the second coming or something like that, right? And it's like, well, that's what Peter says. They'll be saying, where's the promise of his coming? But Peter goes on to say, in fact, since we're here, go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. And what's interesting here is Peter talks about catastrophism versus uniformitarianism. What am I talking about? Many of the Darwinists and so forth, they teach uniformitarianism, that everything's just been the same for eons and eons, millions and millions and millions and hundreds of millions of years. And even humans have been around for millions and millions and millions of years. It's funny, we just all, in the last you know, few thousand years, started bumping into each other and realizing each other are here in all these different places. It took that long to, and we just all did it at once. Doesn't make any sense. We all just, oh, we realize these people are, wow, wow, we just all became conscious of each other after, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, you know, no. Uh, But it's interesting, uniform, catastrophism is different. It teaches that that God intervenes in history, and there's, there's been judgments. And Peter gives the example when they're saying, where's the promise coming? They act like everything's just the same. He says, they're not mindful, they're willfully ignorant of the flood. They're ignorant of the fact that God's already judged the earth on a worldwide basis. So he's not just talking to Jews here, he's talking, to Gen- he's talking mainly to Gentile unbelievers that are caught up in uniformitarianism in the end times, and Jews, whoever would fit the bill, and say, no, God's intervened before. And you could go mountain biking with us and so forth, and you find shells way up in our hills. We're a long way from the beach. Okay, You can find shells in some of the highest mountains. It's, it's, we've been covered by water. And Peter says, hey, Guess what? The next time he comes, it's not to judge the world with water, it's to judge the world with fire. But then he tells us why, when people are saying, why, why hasn't he come yet? Because Peter's saying they're ignorant of not only catastrophism and the past, but they're ignorant of what God's doing right now and the reason he's delaying Christ's coming. It's very clear. To us believers who know the word, there's no secret. In fact, look at uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like one day. I mean, in other words, the Lord is not affected by time. I believe it's a false understanding of God's timelessness to say that there's no chronology with God. No. You know, there's chronology with God. There was a time the earth didn't exist for him, and there's a time the earth did exist for him, right? There is chronology for sure. But he doesn't get old. He doesn't wear out. You know, and it's interesting though, in Second Peter chapter 3, 
A day is like a thousand years, a, day, a thousand years is like a day. So for, for the Lord, it's been 2,000 years. For the Lord, it's been two days. Now for us, if it's two days before Christmas and you're a little kid, it seems like forever, right? When you're older, we do get, you know, and you're close to the Lord, time does go faster. You know, like a roll of toilet paper. At first you roll it, it takes a while, but as close as you get to the end, it goes real quick. Jim told me that one. <laughs> uh, I thought, that's a good illustration, Jimmy. I don't know if it's okay for the pulpit, but why not? You know? <laughs> but anyway, uh, so it's kind of interesting. Because in verse 8 he says, in verse 9 he says, The Lord is not slow about his promise. He's not slow about it. As some count slowness, meaning people count differently than God does. He counts a thousand years a day, days a thousand years, doesn't affect him. But is patient toward you. God has all eternity. He's the eternal God, right? But he's patient toward you. Now, it's interesting here. He's patient toward us. In what way? Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, you can take this a couple different ways. You can take that he's patient toward you, meaning humanity. He's waiting for more people to come to repentance, right? Or he's just patient toward this church or the people that, I'm sorry, not this church, the Christians he's addressing and they're not right with God and they need to repent. He wants them to be saved. Which I don't believe that's what he's saying there, although it's true in many cases, like he was patient with Jezebel, gave her space to repent. So that's, but I don't believe that's what he's pointing out here. Or he's patient toward you, not one that any would perish, but all, all would come to repentance because he's given you and me the great commission and he's being patient with the church to get off our rear ends and get beyond the stained glass windows I know we don't have stained glass windows in this building, but it's a metaphor. Uh, to get out and reach the lost and get the salt out of the shaker and the light, light beyond the bushel, right? Pick up that bushel, let it shine. And I believe that's what he's talking about. And I believe it also applies to the lost world as well because he's patient, wanting salvation. is a real context there. But look at verse 10. And the reason I believe he is being patient for us, and we could have had the Great Commission done a long time ago, but verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, but it's God's timing too, right? It will come like a thief, verse 10, in which the heavens will pass away and the, with the roar of the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Okay? Now it's interesting. Look at the beginning of verse 12. Looking for and what? Hastening the day of God. Now I'm going to return to these verses later. But how do we hasten the coming of the day of God. It means hasten in the Greek, just like in the English, means to speed up. How do we speed up the Lord's return? Well, what's the context? People are counting, oh, what's taking the Lord so long? But the Lord has told us that he wants people to come to repentance, amen? amen. He doesn't will that any would perish, right? And therefore, he's patient with us to get the gospel out, but he's waiting for who? Us. We're the hands and feet of Jesus now, Amen. We're his body. We're supposed to be reaching the lost. That's why we emphasize evangelism. We, we, we emphasize local missions. We are always talking about street witnessing. Many of us share the gospel all around us, but we also don't forget to obey Jesus' words because he didn't just say go locally. Some are like, oh yeah, just go locally. No, Jesus didn't say just go locally. He said go into all the world. Amen? But he said also begin at Jerusalem. So also go locally because they were in Jerusalem then, right? And then Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So we are to go everywhere with the gospel. So it's great to, we need to get the gospel out. 
And I want to encourage you, there's nothing, I feel sorry for people that don't go on mission trips. I'm being honest with you. You have no idea. You have no idea how it revolutionizes your lives. I can honestly say, the biggest, one of the biggest impacts for my own children in their lives, bringing them up in Jesus, was taking them street witnessing locally and also taking them on mission trips. I mean, how many of you guys that just came back from mission trip were transformed? That, and you were already walking strong with Jesus, maybe, right? Raise your hand if you're like, wow, man. I mean, the hands go up. You know what? I didn't plan on this. I wasn't even planning on talking about mission trips other than just generally. Nico, in 20 seconds, yell it out because I'm mic'd up. How do you get blessed by going on mission trips? Real quick, just yell it. Yeah, encouraging people. I gotta repeat what you're saying because I'm way over here uh, with hardened hearts because they haven't been encouraged by believers for a long time. But how does it affect you in your own walk? Mutual encouragement. A lady with a hardened heart, her heart shattered. So thankful they're being there. Then you guys get blessed. You get fired up, right? Josiah, you were on the trip with Nico. They went for two weeks, and then they went to a remote part for another week. Some of the guys stayed behind, Jojo and Nico and Tommy. And who else? That's it. Well, praise God. Where's Tommy? He's in Mexico on a mission trip. (laughs) Josiah, how did that impact you? Seeing God's planning, seeing his hand, seeing how he works things out. You get to see the hand of the Lord because that's what his heart's about. It gets you fired up. Encourage you, man. I'm not saying you all, well, how do you, I mean, I don't want to go to, you don't have to go to another country even. People are lost all around you, man. Well, I don't know how to, I'm not a good speaker. Either was Moses. And God picked him, the humblest guy on the earth. And then God said, he says, my mouth, <laughs> God says, I'll be with your mouth. I'll be with your mouth. Paul wrote half the New Testament. He says, pray for me that God would give me boldness. He didn't rely on his own strength. That's when you get in trouble. I don't dare come up to the pulpit and, and preach without seeking the Lord. I never envisioned myself before I was a Christian. That I wasn't the kind of guy that could stand up in front of people or even wanted to and talk. But when I, became to, when I came to Jesus, it was like, it was like, you know, like Jeremiah said, it was like fire in the bones. He couldn't retain it. He had to speak out. Amen? Get close to Jesus. Seek him. Get his heart. See the dying world all around you. See the lost people that need his gospel. See what he did for them. And it's hard to contain it. Amen? I didn't mean to do a message on evangelism, but it kind of fits the context, you know? So I just want to encourage you guys. He's patient toward you. Not when that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And I believe he's patient. And it could be a double entendre there, right? He's patient toward the lost world. And I believe that's the context as well. But he's also being patient with us in the context of that. And he says we're to hasten to come to the day of the Lord, meaning we need to get up off our ruins and be the church. Amen? And Paul says into the Galatians when he's writing them, Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Don't get upset with me because I say you need to get off your ruin. I love you. I'm just telling you the truth. This is what he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says the church is. One thing the Spirit says the church is, is go. Amen? Into all the world. I mean, you've got to be excited about going. I mean, look at Jesse. She's getting up going right now. You know, look at that, man. That's amazing. Not sure what she's going, but anyway, you guys, let's get excited about the Lord. So, uh, you know what? 
by the way, I know that's what's holding up his return because Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Then what? Then the end will come. Amen? Hasten the coming of the day of the Lord here. Same context. Romans chapter 11. He says, he talks about when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, those last Gentiles get saved, he says, then the deliverer will come from Zion, Jesus. There's three, there's three witnesses of that, what I'm teaching you right here. Three witnesses. You know, that last Gentile gets saved. You know what? Don't be that last stubborn person that comes and you, you know, God's waiting on you. Come on, man, hurry up. I want Jesus to come. Although we know there's other things to be fulfilled as well, but preaching the gospel is a huge part of it. And guess what? There's other evidence. Come on, guys, think about it. We talked about Abraham, and God said, hey, to leave Ur of the Chaldees, and I'm going to take you to the promised land. His people would not occupy it until over 400 years, the Lord told him. And he changed his name from Abraham to Abraham, which means the what? Father of many, Father of many right? He has, can't have a kid until he's 100 years old. Well, that's when he has Isaac, right? The child of promise. And it must have been a joke. He changed his name to Abraham, guys. Father of many can't even have a kid. What's he calling himself? He's a false prophet. No. Now guess what? Hundreds of millions of people are children of, or professed Christians. Jews who, who come to Christ and Jews that are physical descendants, but that's not the hundreds of millions. The hundreds of millions are believers in Christ who put their trust in him. And it says in Galatians chapter 3 that we're children of Abraham through faith. Amen? And if he says it'd be like the sand of the sea, the stars of the sky, it's like he's going to have children like that. Doesn't make any sense. Now look, guys. And now guess what? That prophecy is fulfilled, but it's fulfilled through the gospel as well. And Jesus said the gospel kingdom we preach in all the world. Guess what's happening? Guess where the gospel's at? Pretty much every nation in the world. It just has to go through those nations. Right? There's some more translations that need to be done, but we're closing in. And what trips me out of the book of Revelation, we don't actually finish the job. We need to do the best we can, but God sends an angel in the mid-heavens in Revelation 14 to preach the everlasting gospel. He gives us some help. Man, we don't need help. Well, we need help from the very beginning because guess what? The good news was preached by who? Angels to the shepherds when Jesus was born, right? That's, God sends his angels, Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, as, as ministers, uh, of their, their ministers uh, to those who will inherit salvation. God views angels all along and will continue to do so, but you don't sit on your rear and say, well, I'll let the angels do it. No, man, they're already busy. Let's <laughs> do our job too, amen? So the, the gospel going out, and the gospel will happen right alongside the apostasy. There'll be a lot of genuine believers. There'll be more and more people coming to Christ as we, the gospel continues to get preached, but there'll be apostasy as well. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit speaks expressing that a lot of times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctors of demons. That's just part of the apostasy, but people turning to new age lies, people channeling demons, channeling spirits. That's very popular, by the way. That's the most popular religion in Hollywood, by the way. It's the new age movement people that turn to channelers and those kinds of things. And it's a warning in the scripture. Paul said in Acts chapter 20 to the church at Ephesus, he said, he says, the Lord revealed to him that after his departure, savage wolves would come in, not sparing the flock. In 2, Peter chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, remember that passage where he says, uh, in the last days, perilous times will come? One of the things he says will happen is people have a form of godliness, but deny its power. 
Now, you and I would look around and say, yeah, that's all over. That's obvious. No, when it was written in 2 Timothy, Paul wrote that, and that was the church was new. And he's saying it would be like what happened to the Pharisees. People would just have a, a form of godliness, but they wouldn't really be seeking the Lord from their hearts. And the Pharisees had this form. They were cleaning the outside of the cup. They were presenting themselves as followers of Yahweh. But inwardly, he, Jesus said outwardly they were like, like tombs. They looked great. You know, but inwardly they were like dead man's bones filled with stench. You know, and we want to make sure that our hearts are changed, that we're right with God, because the Bible predicts in the last days there will be a form of godliness with all kinds of different people claiming to be Christians, and that will bring disrepute upon the church, Second Peter, right? And that's happening. Again, we need to make sure that we are real. Amen? And I praise the Lord. This is such an awesome place because you can look to your left, right, all around, and you have gen- people that genuinely love Jesus. I love it. But let's make sure we keep our, our, our lamps lit. Amen? Excuse me, ma'am. Can you remove your baby? That's my daughter, Holly. Okay, in case you're visiting. How rude. <laughs> I would never do that. I remember when I had Holly, first, our first child, and we were going to a Calvary Chapel in Thousand Oaks at the time. And uh, they asked me, and we're kind of new there, you know. And they said, we're there for a little bit. And he was like, hey, we like it if you go in the cry room with the baby. And I go, oh, because she just sleep through anything. She was new, and she, she went out, she drove. I go, oh, oh she'll be good. And they gave you a choice. I go, oh, no, she'll be fine. Right at the end, when the pastor's giving an altar call, ah! you know, and it hasn't stopped since. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, she's awesome. She's a treasure in the Lord. But, uh, you know, it's just interesting when you look at the scriptures, there's this form of godliness going on. And when Paul says that in 2 Timothy, a little bit later he says that all scripture is profitable for doctrine, right? It's all for reproof, for training in righteousness, amen, for encouragement, right? It's all God-breathed, right? Theonoustos, theo, theo is the word for God, noustos, breathed, it's God-breathed. And then in, right after he says that, the very next verse is in chapter 4, there's no chapter breaks in the original, he says, preach the word, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, he tells Timothy, with all long-suffering, I meaning guess what, it's going to be hard, because why? Why is it going to be hard? Why does he say do it with long suffering? Because the time will come when they will not heed. The time will come in the future when they won't heed sound doctrine. When they won't heed sound doctrine. They won't pay attention to sound doctrine. But they'll heap up to themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. And many will do this, he says, and tell them what they want to hear. That's what it says. It says in the last days, preach the word, be faithful, Timothy. Because the last days, he says, when that comes, he goes, you're going to have time when people are looking for preachers. They're going to tickle their ears, make them feel good, you know. And they'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn it to error. Wow. Do the work of evangelists, he says. Talk about suffering and affliction. I mean, you'll be persecuted. And he goes on, he says in that same chapter, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will, or the chapter before that, will suffer persecution. And evil men will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it's predicted that wicked people are going to get worse. But the church is going to be affected by them, and the church is going to find themselves teachers, Second Peter, we already read that, right? That are going to make up stories, they're going to exploit you for money, they're going to turn you towards sensuality, not holy living, okay? And they're going to bring disrepute upon the church, have the church maligned. And here in Peter, he says, or Second Timothy, Paul says the same thing. And they're going to tell them what they want to hear, you know? They're not going to say, oh, this life's going to be filled with persecution, and you got to preach the truth and stand on Jesus. No, they're going to say, you can have your best life now. 
Don't, it's not heaven. That's not what you're waiting for. Oh, wait, that would be a, could be a book, right? Oh, that is a book by Joel Osteen. Live Your Best Life Now. Yeah. The guy that doesn't mention really the word sin. If he does, it's super rare. You know, hell, things like that. Well, do you try to reach Mormons? He goes, well, I don't really know much about Mormonism. And man, to be a Christian elder even, you have to be able to refute those who oppose the gospel, it says. So we live in strange times, guys. In Luke 18.1, Jesus said, it's going to get really bad. In Luke 18.1, Jesus said, you know, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? In Luke 18, I'm sorry, first 10 verses or so. Will he find the faith on the earth? God bless you. Praise God. We read book Revelation, he does find the faith on the earth, okay? But he's letting us know that there's going to be sobering times ahead. And by the way, Jesus said there would be a falling away. In Matthew 24, when they want to know the signs of the times, he said, many, 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 he said, many will what? Fall away, okay? Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, concerning Christ's coming and our being gathered together to him, the rapture, he said, don't let anyone see you by word or letter us from us or by spirit, for that day, Christ coming to gather us together will not happen until two things happen first. There will first be a what? A falling away, he says, an apostasia in the Greek, and the man of sin will be revealed, the set of perdition who sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And verse 8, the lawless one will be revealed, that's the Antichrist, whom the Lord will slay with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming, he'll consume him. So, it's, so you have all these scriptures that talk about this great falling away, this great apostasy coming. And in that passage, he's warning about not getting the cart before the horse. He says, concerning Christ coming, our being what? Gathered together to him, which is a rapture. It's not going to happen until two events. He says, don't be deceived by these three means. It's not going to happen until two events happen first. What? The falling away and the Antichrist revealed in the temple. Now the church has it reversed. The rapture now happens before those two things. The very thing Paul said, don't be deceived by and it is, it's going to be a huge deception because people are going to think Christ comes before Antichrist. This can't be the Antichrist. This can't be the mark of the beast. I just took it, you know. And it can't be the mark of the beast because Jesus didn't come yet. And we're not going to be here during that time. In fact, this guy's really nice. In fact, he claims to be God. He sits in the temple. He represents God. This is great. Hey, Jesus said in Luke 17, he warned his own apostles, the time's coming when you're going to think you're going to see one of the days of the coming of the Son of Man. They think they're going to see it. Oh, he's going to come. He says, guess what? And it won't happen like that, he says. Then he says, he says, at that time, watch out for false prophets. So people are going to have this great sense of expectancy, which many Christians do. They think he's going to come right now, any moment, imminence. A, that's a popular word young, used among our preacher brothers who we love and our sisters, we love them. But we feel there's an error here. And it's a serious error. I remember Benjamin Krem. He's a New Age John the Baptist. He took out full-page ads, L.A. Times, New York Times, Chicago Tribune, all around the nation saying that the Christ is here. He's the Krishna for the Hindus. He's the fifth, he's the Maitreya for the Buddhists, you know. He's the Mahadi Mahadi for the Muslims. He's the Christ for Christianity, the Krishna for Hindus. He's, he's, all, he's a universal Christ, basically. And he's got, you know, I showed one of his commercials one time. That Christ is here. He was being interviewed. And the interviewer is a new wager on Coast to Coast program. And he said, people are calling in. They're really concerned about what you're saying. Because they're saying that you claim that Christ is here, but they're saying the Antichrist comes first. And you're deceiving everybody. 
I'm like, I can't believe they said that. I drive home sometimes, visit my folks, you know, come home at 11.30 at night sometimes and turn that KFI on because they had this coast-to-coast, -coast they still have it. It's horrible in a lot of ways. Every once in a while they might have something good on it. It's not worth listening to unless you're checking things out, which I tend to do. So I was like, wow, this guy, that guy was being called out, you know? Uh, but it's a trip because in the church, the church is being deceived in thinking Christ comes before the Antichrist. That's not the order. Read Matthew 24. You have the fallen away, the abomination of desolation, then Jesus immediately, it says, after the tribulation, gathers his chosen ones up. Amen? Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You have the fallen away, the Antichrist, and then Christ comes when he destroys the Antichrist with the Spirit of his mouth, right? And it's coming. Amen? So, by the way, how does this fit the end times? Because Jesus said the time was coming when they're going to say, you're, not, you're going to think you're going to see one of these coming Son of Man. They get it backwards. And Paul warns about that, too. This is all signs, guys. These are all prophecies. And this is what's amazing to me. Is, and I mentioned this briefly two weeks ago, but the Bible warns of the coming Antichrist that he denies this is in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2.18, uh, dear children, you know that the last hour, it's the last hour that the Antichrist, they've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many are in the world. So the Antichrist is coming though. And then in verse 22, he identifies the Antichrist. He says, who is the Antichrist? But the one that denies the Father and the Son. Deny that relationship between the Father and the Son, that God has sent his Son. John chapter 20, verse 31. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, right? The Son of God. Amen. In John 5, 43, Jesus said this, I have come in my Father's name and you receive me not, to the Jews. I have come in my Father's name and you receive me not. If another one comes in his own name, him you will receive. So many of the Jews will receive the Antichrist. Many Gentiles will. The denier of the Father and the Son. Now, in the Quran, there's a denial of Jesus Christ being the Son of God over and over again. And, on the, in the, and keep in mind, Islam came almost, you know, a half a century after Christ, more than that, the rise of Muhammad in Islam. Yet you go to the Temple Mount, which we visit when we go to Israel, and up there you see the Dome of the Rock. It's really ominous. The Al-Aqsa Mosque, and only the Muslims go up there, except some Christian groups. Not allowed to bring your Bible up there. I bring mine anyway. We read from it. And you know what? There on the Al-Aqsa Mosque and there on the Dome of the Rock, inscribed uh, on, in the letters, uh, Arabic letters, Allah is God and he has no son. Doctrine of Antichrist. And I don't have time to get into it because I'm, we're looking at the forest, not the trees today, but we've looked at the trees and we've looked at Islam and we look at, that, for instance, Iran who wants to destroy Israel in a land, Iran used to be called Persia and there was a prince of Persia, right? The demonic spirit over Persia, which is now Iran, at war with God's angels. And guess what? Iran wants to eliminate Israel and they, they're mostly Shiites there and they believe in the prophecies that, guess what? The, the Mahdi is going to go in there and claim to be, basically he'll be like the savior of the world. And he's going to have a prophet that works with him. And you know what the promise, prophet's name is? Come on, some of you know. What's his name? Come on. Come on, the, the, the Muslim prophet, the Muslim Jesus? Isa. Isa. Isa's going to be with him. But Isa's going to be in front to pray, and then Isa's going to, no, he's going to back up and say, no, follow him. Like, wow, but he's just a prophet. He's not the son of God. It's a different Jesus. And I think, isn't that amazing? They're going to go into Jerusalem. And there'll be a seven-year pack, according to uh, some of the hadiths, the, 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 uh, 
Islamic writings by the Shiites. And they're going to have a, a, a seven-year deal. Oh, it sounds like Daniel chapter 9. And guess what the Bible says? The Bible says in the book of Revelation that there will be a beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And the false prophet will tell people to worship the beast. Sounds like Isa, a false Christ, and the, the Mahdi. Oh, and by the way, the false prophet, it says he speaks like a dragon. Satan's words. But he looks like a lamb. Like he represents Christianity. And I believe Satan's going to do that to bring as many professing Christians in as possible. Because Antichrist is going to sit in the temple of God not saying, I am the Antichrist. He's going to say, I'm God. And the long-awaited Messiah for the Jews, I come in my Father's name, Jesus said, you receive me not, another come in his own name, him you're going to receive. And for the world, it's a setup. And the word anti, the Greek is anti, and it means opposed to as well as instead of. He's going to be opposed to true Christianity, and there'll be mass persecution for those who don't take the mark of the beast. But he's also going to be, instead of the true Christ, he's going to sit in the temple of God, show himself that he's God. And the doctrine of Antichrist is right there on the Temple Mount to this day. And Islam is opposed mainly to Christians and Jews. And I, last time I was talking to you, I briefly got into it because we covered more of Israel than anything, but we talked about how in the end times, the scriptures are very, very clear that uh, there will be this coming world dictator. And we talked about how when the, when the body comes that they're waiting for, they're going to break the cross. He's going to break the cross, Christianity, according to Islamic teaching. And then guess what also is recited in mosques all over the world right now, all over the place, that when Muhammad comes, if a Jew is hiding behind a tree or a rock, the tree will say, there's a Jew behind me, kill him. Okay, that's, that's their Armageddon. <laughs> and that's actually, it's basically the Bible turned on inside out. It's basically all inverted, where we become of the devil, right? And, but guess what? This was long before Islam, this book was written, Amen. All 66 of these books, all 70 if you count, break the Psalms of the five books that the Jews do, all 70 books. Mind-boggling. This is all evidence of Bible prophecy being fulfilled in our day. It's all around you, guys. It's just mind-boggling. It's amazing. And now it's interesting. Go to Revelation chapter 6. Verse 1. I would say a lot more about the rapture and its timing. I don't do that as much anymore because I have so much on tape and I will do it once in a while, but I have a, a, we got a video called Left Behind or Led Astray, which I encourage you to check out. Or you can watch my debate I had in Colorado. They invited me to do a debate, uh, Prophecy in the News, uh, big uh, pre-trib prophecy center, and we had a great time. I went there, there, they let me teach, but they let me debate. We, we had a great time, met a lot of neat believers there. It's an in-house debate. We love one another. But uh, that debate, I, I debated Dr. Stoffer, which was their champion on this subject. And we had a great debate. It was a climax of the entire, all these workshops and all these different speakers at Twin Peaks area. It was just beautiful. But I encourage you to watch that online uh, because it went really, really well <laughs> for the Bible side, what I believe is the Bible side. And we had a lot of comments. People say, man, it's so clear. You know? So Revelation chapter 6, when Jesus opens the first seal and the seals begin the judgments of God, and they begin, and, they, and, and then you have the trumpet start up, and then the bowls, and so forth. And I don't have time to explain it, but in Revelation 6, 1, Then I saw 
when the Lamb, that's Jesus, broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a loud voice, I'm sorry, as with a voice of thunder, come, I looked, behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out, what? Conquering and to conquer. The first judgment is the allowance of the white horse to go forth, to conquer, conquering and to conquer. I believe this is Antichrist. Antichrist is a judgment on the world. How do we know that? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says that God sends them a strong delusion because those who did not receive the knowledge of the truth, they rejected God's truth, will be given to, over to a lie. So God allows the Antichrist to appear. By the way, the Lord God, through the Archangel Michael, we just did a whole thing on a, on a message I gave just recently, maybe a couple months ago, on how the Archangel Angel is a restrainer that hold back, holds back the Antichrist. Okay, so when Jesus pops this seal, it allows Michael to you know, stop restraining. He throws Satan and his angels down. Then it says, woe to the earth, because great wrath has come upon you. That's when the great tribulation starts. He stops protecting Israel at that point. The Archangel Michael from these principalities and powers. They're cast down. Listen to that message. You'll be blown away by it on the Archangel Michael being the restrainer. Just ask for it or just look it up, I should say, on, on our website. Uh, we also did, I think, a podcast on it, but the actual message is a lot deeper. If you haven't heard that, I really encourage you to check that out. This rider right here is not Christ. Okay, This is at the beginning of the tribulation. Christ comes back on his white horse when? At the end of the tribulation. By the way, this one has a, a bow, right? Jesus has a what? Sword. Sword. Amen. By the way, this one has one crown, and the Greek word stephanos, it's a victor's crown because he's conquering. Jesus, when you go to Revelation 19, at the end of the tribulation, has many crowns. The Greek word is not stephanos there, it's diadema, which are kingly crowns. He has many of them, Amen. This is a counterfeit Christ. And by the way, I pointed out before, Revelation chapter 6, when you look at the judgments that take place and everything that goes on, it parallels Matthew chapter 24. Just read, you read right along each side of each other. Wow. It's amazing. And by the way, in the beginning of Matthew 24, what's the first thing that Jesus reveals is going to happen? There will be many false Christs and false prophets. And again, this is at the beginning of the tribulation when the Antichrist goes forth conquering and to conquer on his white horse. The symbol of the Mahdi that's coming, the, the Muslim uh, Savior is a white horse in their commercials. I've seen it on, on YouTube. Like, whoa, man, they even use this white horse rider as their symbol. You know, and Muslim exegetes use this passage to say, this is the coming Mahdi, this passage right here. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's a picture of the coming Antichrist, you're right. It's just not, you know, uh, not good. <laughs> not good at all. Are you with me today? Are things making sense for you? Be honest, am I speaking too fast? No, I'm trying to slow down. I get excited about prophecy. So I just blah, 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 blah. You know, so like, Lord help me. I want to talk about technology a little bit in our remaining time. We have like 15 minutes, so Lord help me. So Daniel chapter 12, if you can go there. Daniel chapter 12. Now at that time, verse 1, at that time Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. And I point out in my study here, that word translated rise over and over and over again means to cease or to stand still often. I gave you all kinds of places in the Old Testament where that word's used that way. And it says, and that's because he stops restraining the Antichrist and that spirit behind the Antichrist, basically. And he lets it go. And he says, and there will be a time of distress, tribulation, 
such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Jesus said in John 5, 29 and 30, 28 through 30, really, he says there will be the resurrection of the just and the, res- uh, and the condemnation of the unjust at the resurrection. Then shall come forth they that have done good in the resurrection of life and they that have done evil in the resurrection of damnation. Two different resurrections. In Revelation chapter 20, the resurrection of the just is first, and then you have a thousand years, and then the resurrection of the wicked, they're raised too, but they're sent to the lake of fire. Horrifying. Verse 3, those who have insight... Verse 3, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Amen? You want to be a true star for Jesus? Right? Grow in your insight of God's word and share it with people and lead people to Christ. Amen? Verse 4, look at this. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the, the book until what? Until what? The end of time. So... Daniel sealed till the end of time. In the book of Revelation, you know what it says? And this is the last chapter of Daniel. You know what it says in Revelation 22? Don't seal up this book. Ha, God wants us now to understand Daniel Revelation. And he, look what he says, though. Many will go back and forth, and what? Knowledge will what? Increase. The Bible predicts an exponential growth of knowledge. That knowledge will increase. Now, many commentators look at this as talking about the computer age. And knowledge increasing. And for sure, there's knowledge increasing that way. Would you agree? I mean, every few years, there's an exponential increase in knowledge like never before. And you can go back 30 years ago, and it was multiple times with the advent of the computer age that knowledge increased around the world beyond, I mean, beyond what it had been for thousands of years. Now it continues to increase all over the place. And however, I have no problem with that being applied to, because it could be another double entendre. It could be referring to just knowledge in general. But I specifically, he's talking about knowledge of God's word. Why? Because he says, seal up the word of God. Right? Seal up this word that, that, in Daniel, the prophecies. I mean, people won't fully understand them until, guess what? The book of Revelation was written. Because you really couldn't understand that last piece because it's diverse. And then it gives you more details about it in Revelation 13. I don't have time to explain it, but it was sealed until that book was written. Then the books aren't sealed anymore. So you have a fuller understanding of what's coming. This is heavy. He says in this context of it will not be, it'll, it's sealed until when? The end times. And at that time, he says, people will go to and fro. I can show you, I don't have time to do it. That phrase, to and fro, in old, the other place in the Old Testament, where it has to do searching the scripture. So in the end times, people will be going to and fro, searching the scripture, and their knowledge will increase. Guess what? You being at a church where we study Bible prophecy are fulfilling this passage right now. Is that mind-boggling to think? You're, you're fulfilling Bible prophecy being here today. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> As you search the scriptures and you go to and fro and your knowledge of the end times increases, guess what? You're fulfilling Bible prophecy. It just is never ending, guys. You know, that's why we talk about this stuff all the time because it's just so heavy. But I'll tell you what, uh, knowledge is also increasing technically in a technological way. How so? Think of prophecies that made no sense at all when they were written to people. When Jesus says in verse 14 of Matthew 24 to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all the different nations, right? Right? Now he says that in verse 14. And then when the gospel of the kingdom is preached in all the world, he says actually Matthew 28, 19 to 20, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all the nations and so forth. But in chapter 24, verse 14, when he says, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, then the end will come. 
he's envisioning showing them that you guys can be all over the planet. The very next verse, as they're going all over the place, he said that those who are in Judea, first he says this, when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. How does that, how can you flee to the mountains when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place? How can you even see that happen? Only a few people would see that happen. Because it'd be in the holy place that it's set up. How in the world would you see that? But guess what? I'm talking about back then. Now we know today, right? Because the Antichrist wants to be publicized. And this is before there was television, before there was satellite, before there was CNN and Fox News, MSNBC. CNN and MSNBC would be, wow, this is awesome. Praise the dictator of our totalitarian government who sits in the temple. Let's take his mark. You know, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But we won't be doing it, right? Anyway, uh, it's interesting because commentators understood the problem. Remember last time we were here and on this subject, we quoted from different people who said, how oh, Israel has become a country again. It has to happen. Before the, and it's going to happen. It doesn't make sense, but it's going to happen. And it happened. Well, guess what? They were also saying, the commentators, before television was around, 150 years ago or more. How could this happen? How could this be fulfilled? How can people, when they're going around the world, and those in, throughout Judea see this happen? In fact, listen to this. This is by B.W. Newton in the 1800s. He writes, It is true indeed that this commandment to quit Jerusalem and Judea can be addressed only to a few. Because howsoever many of the servants of Christ may be in Judea then, they will be necessarily few in comparison to the multitude of their Christian brethren who will be scattered up and down throughout the earth. He goes, how could they see this happen? It's just going to be a few people that will be able to witness this. How could they all just split to Judea when they see it happen? All right? A.H. McNeil, in 1840, says he understands the problem, but he says, but I'm not going to try to find a way around it. Just doesn't make sense maybe to us, but it will be fulfilled somehow that people all over the place will be able to see this happen. Listen to what he says. It's one thing to anticipate the facts predicted according to the literal meaning of the same words when used in other books or in other places of the same books, acknowledging our ignorance as to the mode, uh, he says, of, of, uh, of accomplishment. Because that mode is not revealed. We don't know how they're going to be able to see it. Because there's no TV. He's right. He doesn't get it yet, right? I, admi I really admire this, this statement he makes. Because he's like, hey, let's just be honest. The scripture says we don't know how it's going to be fulfilled. And it's quite another thing, he says, to put a different meaning on the same words in different places of the same sentence in order to make the mode accomplishment more intelligible. I had rather avow my inability to answer the question, how can this be or can that be, in a thousand instances than to put an evasive interpretation upon a single verse of the Word of God. That's heavy. He said, let's not try to reinterpret this. It says what it says. We don't know how it's going to be fulfilled. Now, reading this today, we don't think like that. We go, well, yeah, there's satellite TV. Of course, everybody can see it. And throughout Judea, you'll be able to see it because it'll probably be covered because it's in Judea, right? If not throughout the world. It's interesting, but technology. These prophecies make sense now. Those in Judea can see it everywhere right now because everybody's got a boob tube in their house, you know? So it's interesting. Go to Revelation chapter 13. More technology that would not be possible when it was written. You'd scratch your head saying, how could this be fulfilled? Because Revelation 13 talks about the Antichrist and the false prophet who it tells people to take the mark of the beast. And in chapter 13, 
we read in verses 16 through 18. And he, that's the Antichrist, causes all, the small and the great. He causes who? All, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell, except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a what? A man. And his number is what? 666. So the best, number, the best manuscripts have 666. He's going to cause people to take the, the mark of the beast, which is either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Huh, interesting. Being, using numbers as names and so forth, let him as understanding calculate the number of the beast. Could you give everybody globally a mark and keep track so they could buy or sell 2,000 years ago when this was written? Roughly 2,000 years ago? No. Today, can you see that happening globally? Yeah. And we've got to be careful because I do believe that we are being conditioned to rely more and more on government and the far left wants government to be God in our lives. They want to build a utopia and it's a lie. And they'll use things. You know, I'm in the middle of the road on the whole vaccination thing and COVID and all that. I see two radical extremes and I see people that on both extremes have some good points and the far left, I don't get that extreme at all, you know. But I, I'll say this, that I don't believe, and we had to do the whole podcast on it, that vaccination is the number of the beast. Kanye West, that great theologian, right? <laughs> he said, it's, uh, it is, uh, it's, so many of our children that are being vaccinated and paralyzed, West says. So when they say that we're going to fix COVID, it's with a vaccine, I'm extremely cautious. He says, that's the mark of the beast. No, because when the mark of the beast comes out, there'll be an angel that flies in midheaven saying not to take it. It'll be associated with the Antichrist and it'll be the number of his name, guys. Not a vaccination. Not that some kind of vaccination won't be worked in. I don't want to say something that may, may or may not happen, but we don't see that. But if that happens, it's definitely going to be a number and a name, right? And if the, if the vaccination was the mark of the beast, guess what? We'd, then we'd be past the halfway mark of the tribulation, and the Antichrist should be sitting in the temple, which isn't even rebuilt yet. Makes no sense at all. He goes on to say they want to put chips inside of us. They want to do all kinds of things to make it where we can cross the gates of heaven or we can't ca cross the gates of heaven. I'm sorry. When they say, uh, when they say that, he says the humans that have the devil, they have the devil inside them. I'm sorry. When I say they, the humans that have the devil inside them, I don't want to misquote him. And the sad thing is that the saddest thing is that we all won't make it to heaven, uh, that there will be some of us that do not make the next then he says, next question. I think he's there at Joel Olstein, if I remember right, when he's taking questions. And he says, you know, says that. And I'm like, guys, it makes Christianity look horrible when you misinterpret Scripture and say, this is the mark of the beast. And then people remember what you say, and then it turns away from Christ. However, guess what? He's actually on to something in this way. Okay? There is a concern that we need to have. They would like to, the government, to chip us. Amen? They would like to totally control us. I remember, I, I remember driving down the street, Governor Newsom, when, the, when COVID was new, uh, one of the journalists asked him, he said, don't you look at this as a great opportunity, because he's talking about the fear that everybody has, and they're wearing the mask and everything. Don't you look at this as a great opportunity to implement a lot of things you would otherwise not be able to implement? I'm like, oh, he's going to dodge this one. He did it. 
I'm listening to him on the radio. He's like, yeah, actually, we've had a number of talks, me and my staff, about how we could implement things now. I'm like, man, you just said it. Don't tell me that the government's not overreaching. Don't tell me that they're not going to try to use this as a means to control people to degree because you have evil people in evil places. Okay? By saying that, I'm not saying don't get vaccinated. I am saying the vaccination, I don't believe, is the number of the beast. Although I do believe there's an overreach with vaccinations. You know how I believe that? Because I've had COVID. You know what the studies are showing so far? They could change, but the studies are showing so, so far, and these were studies that were reported last November, that this is related like to SARS-1. 18 years ago, when people got SARS-1, they didn't need a vaccination because they had it. And this is related to SARS-1. And so far, people that have, not people that thought they had COVID, I think I had COVID, then they get it later. I had it twice. No, do you have evidence that you for sure had COVID? You know? But the Cleveland Clinic, which is an association of, of hospitals and medical, they followed over 5,000 of their own employees with regard to COVID. 1,300 of them had COVID. 1,300 of them. And they had COVID that was proven to be COVID because in the laboratories, they had laboratory evidence, they had COVID. Of those 1,300 that they've traced that had COVID that didn't get vaccinated, guess what? They didn't get COVID again. Would you ever, are you hearing that on the news? No. Oh, everybody needs to be vaccinated. I'm sorry. I had COVID. And now if I see a bunch of people that have COVID start to, you know, die and get it again, then my antennae will come up. Talked to one of my cardiologists a few times, and thank God that heart's in great shape by the grace of God. But he's like, Joe, have you taken the vaccination yet? And I'm not saying don't. That's between you and God. I'm just saying I've had COVID. But the government, they want to make sure, because guess what? There's an outbreak again of COVID. And I do understand that I'm not saying not to be vaccinated either because there's a concern too, because you can get COVID and die. I almost did. Okay, so I'm not an anti-vaxxer either. I'm saying that we should look at each vaccination individually and say, is this good or is this bad? I'm not against all vaccinations, but I'm not for them all either, by the way. But I just know because I've had COVID, I, I hear it on the news over and over again, they act like if you had COVID, you need it. Wait a minute, man. I've got a better chance of not getting COVID than somebody who's had the shot. And they don't parse it that way. They want to scare everybody and you need it. And that bugs me because I know where a lot of this is headed eventually. And I'm not saying everybody that's like that is nefarious. I just believe there's this mob mentality in journalism. And they want control to a degree too. But at the same time, I'd be sad if you didn't have COVID. You didn't get it yet. You're not immune to it. You don't have natural immunities built up. You don't get the vaccination. And you're one of those folks that dies. So I don't say that either because I'm not going to have anybody's blood on my hand. I said let each person decide. Amen. But I will say this. There is... Definitely a movement toward the mark of the beast with technology. Okay? In fact, it's interesting. Listen to this. I mean, years ago, they wanted a national ID card, you know? And Donald, Ronald Reagan's uh, cabinet meeting, they had a meeting years ago, and one of them suggested a national ID card, and we just put it on people's hands or forehead. Donald Reagan, he was the Treasury Secretary. His name's on a lot of your bills. He writes about this in his own book. And James Watt stood up, like he said, it looked like he was slapping the face and said, That sounds like the mark of the beast. Donald Reagan said he didn't really, he wasn't serious when he said that. He just wanted to get away from the national ID card, so he freaked everybody out. But it's kind of interesting that they even talk about those things in the Oval Office, you know, way back then. But you know what's interesting? Right now, as I speak, there is a movement. Amazon One has a crazy commercial that we'll show you in a minute. It's just a minute long. And it's very interesting because they're implementing this in Amazon One stores everywhere. Amazon's pretty big, isn't it? You know? And it's, they're basically encrypting a biometric, your biometric data into their, and uploading it in their servers. Oh, how great that is. What? 
We wouldn't even think about doing that years ago. Here's my biometric data. Upload it in your server so I can buy and sell you know, at your stores more. Dilip Kumar, vice president of physical and retail technology at Amazon said, quote, uh, it's contactless, which we think people will appreciate, especially in these current times because of COVID. You don't have to make contact. You don't have to touch things. It makes so much sense to use, this, to, to use your hand now. Tell me this isn't being used to move people in this direction. I have evidence of it. In fact, it's interesting. In this commercial, it's an animation of this girl named Zoe. And it shows you how easy you could just do this with your hand now and purchase things with your hand. The Bible says you'll take a mark of your right hand forward. I'm not saying this is the mark of the bees either. But I'm saying this is headed toward there. They're conditioning everybody. And by the way, isn't it interesting that they name her Zoe, who has this little thing. You know what Zoe is a Greek name for? It means life. The idea is you're giving your life to the system. Oh, that's just a coincidence. Ah, you can believe that. I don't know. Let's watch the clip, though. This is Zoe. Just like you, she uses lots of different cards and IDs to get through her day. What if all Zoe needed was herself? Introducing Amazon One, a free service that lets you use your palm to quickly pay for things, gain access, earn rewards, and more. Let's say you're grabbing your favorite coffee beverage, or heading into the office, or checking out. Just hover your palm and you're on your way. It's as easy as that. Sign up is free and takes less than a minute. All you need is a credit card, your phone number, and your palm. That's it. Since your palm is unique and can't be lost or misplaced, you can get things done quickly and securely. And with more experiences on the way, Amazon One will help you get even more done simply by being you. Now, Zoe has more time to do what she loves, indoor skydiving. Enter, identify, and pay with Amazon One. That's chilling to me. Now, it's not just Amazon One. Guess what Amazon's doing? They're trying to sell this to retailers everywhere. So they now have all kinds of people. Yeah, well, what if you don't have an arm? I'll just stick it on your forehead. It's an aspect place. It's visible. You know? Well, you don't have a hand or you don't want it on your hand. Well, yeah, I don't want it on my hand because I read, you know. By the way, and then all of a sudden everybody's doing this possibly in the future. And then it's like, okay, now let's just, it's an easy step. Now the Antichrist, he says he wants you to be unified with his utopia, plan, utopian plan. It's just amazing to me. Now, what's crazy is in Revelation chapter 11, we don't have time to get into it because I want to shut down in a few minutes, but I want to say this, just a couple more things. It says two witnesses will be put to death and they'll be dead. And they'll be dead and they'll lay in the streets for three and a half days. You know what it says? It says, those from, this is Revelation 11, 9, those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations, that's all over the world, will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days. And you know what it says they'll do? Different people? They'll send gifts to one another that these two people were killed. You ever see people give gifts because of terrorist acts? All the time, Muslims do it. When people are killed, the Muslims give gifts to each other. This is prophecy, guys. And you know what's crazy? The whole world will be watching them. When this was written, and you're reading the book of Revelation, there's no television. You're saying, you're shaking your head, how could this happen? How could people watch their dead bodies? And within three and a half days, they're giving gifts around all over the place, different nations around the world. How could that spread in three and a half days? How could people watch their dead bodies for three and a half days? It, they couldn't do that back then. They can now. Listen to this. This is Horatius Bonar in 1847 saying, I don't know how this is going to happen. It doesn't make sense. Because how could everybody see their bodies? 
Listen to what he says. We read that dead bodies of the witnesses are to lie unburied for three days and a half. That is three and a half literal days, if the abridged scheme be correct. And then it is added that they of the people, the kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies and shall not suffer them to be put in graves. Now, he says, it is, it is, check this out. Now, is it possible that within three days and a half, people of the different nations, even of the uh, prophetic earth, should be able to come together to the streets of the great city and see these bodies there? Because he's trying to figure out how can this be fulfilled? How are they going to get there? Or is it possible that within the short space, the intelligence of uh, their death should be so universally diffused that they should have time to congratulate each other and send gifts to one another uh, uh, and uh, the other in token with their common joy? He says, we can hardly conceive this, that this is possible. These, he says, these may perhaps appear minute pieces of criticism, but still, they are difficulties with which it is right and necessary to state. I mean, I don't know how this could be fulfilled. We don't even think like that. We take so much for granted in prophecy. Now we're like, yeah, of course it can be fulfilled. Just like the mark of the beast could be fulfilled. Just like they can see the abomination and the desolation. Just like in Revelation 18, a few chapters later, that when Babylon, the great city, is destroyed, it goes up in fire in one hour. That's not how cities were destroyed back then. Look at Jerusalem, not long before Revelation was written. It took years, 68, 69, 70, before the Romans could finally destroy it and take it. And they had been occupying it. And that was the most radical empire that had ever existed to that point. And yet in Revelation 18, you read about, it goes up in fire in one hour. And in Zechariah chapter 12, you have people, while they're standing up, it says their eyes are consumed from their sockets and their tongues are consumed as the nations battle one another. Makes no sense. Oh, well, actually, it makes a lot of sense. It says their flesh shall consume away while they're standing upon their feet. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongues shall consume away in their mouth. Israel has what's called the Samson Project, which is whoever nukes us, we're nuking all of our enemies, because if we don't know who it is, we're going to make sure we get you. Okay, that's, you can read about Samson's Project in Wikipedia. Okay, it's actually theoretical. Some people say it exists, some doesn't, but it quotes, that article quotes some high up people in the government. Well, guess what? Did you know a nuclear bomb, 100 million Celsius, that's about the same heat as the interior of the sun. Hottest part of the sun is how hot it gets. And I was reading the week before last, time.com, after the bomb, an article. And one person said, I encountered a coworker. This is in Nagasaki and Hiroshima when they're interviewing people that lived. I encountered a coworker who had been exposed to the bomb outside the factory. His skin was melted off. He says it was raw flesh. The coworker died not long after that. I have a lot of stuff on bombs and stuff and I won't get into it because I don't have time to but I'm encouraging you guys right now we are in the time when prophecies are fulfilled that could never be fulfilled with not just Israel but with regard to technology with regard to apostasy with regard to many things amen this could easily be a 10 20 part series you know but uh we're gonna get back into the book of Revelation but I hope you're lifting up your heads because Jesus says, when you see these things taking place, lift up your heads for redemption draws nigh. Don't be like the unwise virgins who ran out of oil in their lamps. The word of the Lord is a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. Amen. The oil represents the Holy Spirit, God's word, his light. Stay in the word. Amen. Continue to cry out to God so you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and be used by him. Make sure you keep short accounts with the Lord. In other words, if you fall into something, repent and get right with Jesus. Amen. 
and make sure you're cleansed by the blood of Christ. And the Bible goes on to say, and I said I'd get back to it, so I at least need to mention it. In 2 Peter chapter 3, near the end of the book there, verses 12 through 14, he says, What manner of lives ought we to be living in all holiness, amen, and blamelessness, right? In light of the fact that he's coming back and that everything will be melted down. Amen? Make sure you're right with Jesus. Amen? Let's all please stand.